Uh, this is Dijon Responsibly. This is our fifth episode. Uh, today we're featuring Servix, uh, Ovix, and Jacob from the team uh, to talk about lending markets, what what makes Ovix unique, how Ovix works, um, and all things about risks uh, within Ovix. Uh, Digital Responsibly is a series by Exponential DeFi, where we're on a mission to bring rationality into the industry and also make DeFi more accessible to all types of investors. My name is Oscar. I run products at Exponential DeFi. Today we have Zero Discs as our guests. Again, thank you for taking the time. No problem. Thanks for having us, guys. Awesome. So before before we get started, uh, if you can introduce yourself, uh, Jacob, since you'll be the main speaker, uh, tell us a bit about your DeFi journey uh, and how you got into uh, DeFi, uh, how you got into OVIX. Sure. So, um, yeah, as you said, already said, my name is Jacob. Um, I'd say my first, um, the first time I like interacted with crypto in any way was probably when I was still in high school, just doing some very random DJing uh, and getting wrecked, uh, probably like in classes, not really listening to the stuff I wasn't really interested in. Um, it was like in at the height of the 2017 um, bull market. So yeah, yeah. Needless to say, I got I got very much wrecked, uh, and I kind of I, I wasn't really very much interested in you know like the technology side of it or or anything. Just like was the price going up? Um, and I think so, like I, I kind of like left the space for for a while. I wasn't really that much interested because the price wasn't going up uh, anymore. Um, and then in college, uh, around like when the NFT craze started, uh, I was like, okay, like this this crypto thing is is getting pretty big again. Um, yeah. Let me <laughs> let me learn more about it, uh, and that's when I kind of like. I start actually understanding the technology and like learning more about you know how the smart contracts actually work, how do blockchains actually settle the transactions, uh, what are the promises of those of those um, technologies. And I think I was like as I was learning more and more. I think the the time when I decided I want to go full in uh, on crypto was probably when I was listening to um, I think Chris Dixon's uh, podcast with uh, with Naval uh, when they were yeah. talking about like the Web three and um, of those big things that it was uh, promising. And at the time, I was more um, like, I, I thought I'm going to go into machine learning after college. Uh, but yeah, at that point, I just realized that, well, crypto is, is probably a thing where I'm, uh, that I am much more passionate about. Um, and nice, yeah. Nice. Yeah, that's that's how I how I got here. And like at, at that time, I just like decided I want to do it. I started learning more about the, the technical side of it, like coding some uh, smart contracts and Solidity. Um, yeah, started applying for jobs, and now I'm here at Uvix. Perfect. Yeah, I think that um, we all have one inspiring figure, either um, someone from uh, the VC community or a builder within crypto. Um, and all, all of these journeys are, are fascinating because they are they all share this commonality that it, you start scratching a little bit into what is crypto DeFi and all of a sudden before you realize you're deep down the rabbit hole uh, going into protocol documentation and understanding the technical side of it as well. Yeah, totally, totally. That was definitely my experience as well. <laughs> nice. All right. So thank you for the intro and going more into uh, OVEX. Can you tell us um, from like base for our basic understanding what ovix is what it does and what problem it tries to solve 
Right. So um, OVIX is a money market uh, that basically allows the users to supply and borrow certain assets in a permissionless, trustless way. Um, so the way it works for a, for a regular user, for every user, is that you come to the protocol um, and you have a set of assets that you can supply. Uh, and then as a, as a reward, if you will, uh, for supplying a certain amount of assets, you can borrow um, another amount of another asset. I think right now we have around 10 different assets, including stables, um, different different versions of Frogmatic, uh, of Liquidmatic, like uh, STmatic, or um, yeah, like for example, STmatic uh, or Matic X. Um, yeah, so like the, the the problem that this solves is uh, a protocol like ours allows users to get a, uh, an exposure to different assets uh, in both directions, uh, both yep. the upside and the downside of the market. So uh, one typical way in which you would use a protocol like ours is to short a certain asset. Um, okay, okay. I don't know if you want me to go into the details, but yeah, that's, that's like a common use case. Yeah, no, I, I think that's that sets the stage for the rest of the conversation. Um, in terms of, you know, as far as lending market goes, what do you think makes uh, OVIX unique? Um, I think there's there's a couple of ways that makes uh, that that make um, OVIX unique. I think the the first thing that I I have to show myself um, because I'm I'm the most involved with this part of the protocol. <laughs> of course. Um, so other other protocols like Aave or Compound, they usually kind of outsource the risk assessment to um, to like risk management consultancies for DeFi, if you will, um, like Gauntlet. Um, and while they're doing a good job, we believe that we can do similar work in-house without um, having to use the treasury uh, millions to, to pay, those, pay those companies to do it and achieve um, as good of results or potentially even better. Uh, we hope. Yeah. Um, so that's definitely that's the, the, definitely this one thing, and like the the risk assessment plays into uh, multiple uh, facets of the of the protocol. Um, the first one is when we're listing new asset, we stress test the protocol of how listing this new asset will impact the health of of our users' positions um, and the entire mm. protocol uh, by extent by, by extension. Um, and then we also use our simulator to choose the most um, optimal parameters. Like because probably a thing that I should have mentioned earlier is that OVIX is an over collateralized lending protocol, meaning that you have to um, provide more collateral before yeah. withdrawing a certain amount of um, of, of of that of of loans um, from the protocol. Um, so we be, it is up to the protocol to decide what are the um, the parameters for those markets that make um, the capital as efficient as possible while at the same time mitigating the risk as uh, as much as possible. Um, so yeah, I'd say risk assessment is the first one. Um, the second thing I think it's it's um, the feature that we have called twenty four hours liquidation. Uh, which is kind of our oh. response to the observation that the health factor is not uh, very well representative of the risk that the users um, take on while using the uh, the money markets. Um, so imagine a situation if you actually if you go to Ovix right now um, app.ovix.com, you can see yep. um, and you collect your connect your wallet, you can see um, kind of like normal distribution that 
tells you how risky your position is as as compared to other users. Also quantifies what's your probability of your position becoming under collateralized in the next 24 hours. Um, and th- like the main motivation for why we why we built this is that imagine a scenario in which like two cases. In case one, the user let's say uh, mines our um, our rewards um, on Ovix yep. which are in the VIX token. Um, so let's say they supply a certain amount of USDC and they borrow also USDC and they do it um, a couple of times over and over again, um, which is, for some of you probably know, it's called a, a looping strategy. Looping. Um, yep. They create a high leverage and thanks to that, they, they, they can um, mine those uh, native um, protocol tokens. Um if if you do it with a with a um, like if you max out your borrowing power, your health factor will show you that you're very likely to get liquidated. Um, which you know if if both uh, on the borrow and the supply side, it's the you, you hold the same asset, then basically your risk of getting liquidated is uh, is zero in the short term, right? Like in the in the long term, like technically, yep. it costs costs more to. Uh, borrow than to supply, so and then you get rewarded for supplying. So technically, over time, your, um, you know, your your interest would accumulate in in a way that would make you liquidatable. But yeah, technically, in a short run, it's it's even impossible. Um, whereas a user who let's say um, supplies BTC and borrows USDC for some reason or the other way around doesn't that doesn't really matter that much for for that example yeah uh, has a even though their health factor much be uh, might be much much higher than in case of the first user there are scenarios in which this user gets liquidated if the price of BHC goes up or down depending on uh, which side of this um, of this example the user is on so this is kind of our our response to this the situation um, yeah okay okay um, so you, you talked about quite a few different things at the same time. So let me recap. Uh, In terms of what makes OVIX unique, the first thing you mentioned was risk assessment. So the in-house risk assessment and the fact that you also stress test every new asset that you list, which I think it is totally worthwhile to go a bit more in depth into how you stress test and some of the things that you consider in your risk framework. Um, Also, that you provide the users this transparency as to how risky their liquidation yeah, how risky their position yeah. is relative to the rest of all of the all other users in the protocol. So, totally. is that, is that to help you assess like how like how much degen, <laughs> how much of a degen position you're taking at that moment? Yeah, kind of, kind of. Um, I I think that's that's one thing. Another is to just like quantify to the less um, you know degen users, if you will. How actually risky their positions are, because you know, like thinking of a mm. of a normie that comes and tries to use yep. their first DeFi app. When you come and like you look at the health factor, um, if you if you don't really have a lot of knowledge of how those um, those protocols work, you might either work. be overreacting. Yeah, work. Uh, you might either be overreacting to the health factor that you see or underreacting, uh, right? Because the the health factor might not show you uh, that you actually are in a very risky situation. Um, so yeah, that's exactly that's exactly uh, what we're doing to like the problem that we're trying to solve with this feature. Um, there's actually I think a couple of other things that make Ovex a bit a bit unique. Um, one is definitely yeah. a curved interest rate, which we're 
uh, about to implement soon. Uh, it's I think a bit of a of an alpha here. Um, so it's kind <laughs> nice, of like nice. a different different model to um, that the market can use to increase the utilization rate at a lower cost to the users. Um, and then our soon to be launched token um, is, is going to rely on the on the V tokenomics, which is a, a model that we believe is um, innovative and uh, beneficial for the lending markets. And I don't think there's there's um, lots of the protocols that use it so far. Yep. Yep. All right. I mean, th there's a lot of uh, meat to get to get into it. So. I think the the distribution curve that is totally clear. So you can see how you know how risky your position is relative to the rest of the market. Let's go back to how you stress test uh, a new asset. So let's say you you want to list, uh, let's say staked Matic, which is the first one that I see on the supply side. What are the things that you consider before listing staked Matic as an asset? Right. So I think like first you kind of look at the. Um, at the project, right? And like you make kind of like a, um, just like a very simple analysis, right? Like, do you think it's a rug pull or is it a, a viable project for for, yep. for, for whose token um, is somehow uh, like makes sense? Um, so that's that's probably like the, the the first thing, right? Like kind of yeah, like, like a, who is who is the insurer? Mm -hmm. um, sorry, who, who's the insurer? Who is the issuer of the token, basically? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, so so that's probably like the the first thing, right? Then then we look at the uh, the market liquidity that is there for this this token, because if you if you get to the situations in which the users uh, provide this token uh, as a as collateral, and or the other way around, they that they borrow it and they have to be liquidated, um, if a token is illiquid or doesn't have enough of a liquidity in the market as compared to the size of the position that any given user takes, then like as a protocol, you're you're in big trouble, um, yeah. which is kind of like what we saw with uh, with Avi's highly profitable trading strategy. Yeah, and with Avi uh, and the CRV um, um, saga. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, which like, you know, I, I, I don't blame um, anyone for, for, for that. Um, I think like we still as, as DeFi like have a lot of things that we haven't fully thought through, and yeah. um, just this this beautiful transparency that exists here is is what allows us to do exactly that, right? Like get on the spaces, know exactly what happened, and talk about it. Um, yeah. yeah, so probably and, like, mm -hmm, sorry. Yeah, just wanted to to add add to that. Uh, maybe for for those that are newer to lending markets, that uh, let's say that you have a, a pool with in which there are a hundred thousand tokens that are supplied as collateral, and if you had to liquidate them, and there's only a, another pool in that with a hundred thousand tokens, then you will most likely have high slippage when trading those assets on chain. Which means that when at the time that you want to sell the tokens that you want to liquidate, you will get a much lower price for them, meaning you will not be able to repay all the debts that the borrowers took as liquidators. Exactly. And so the lenders will be end up holding uh bad debts or meaning they'll they'll take a haircut on their deposit basically. Exactly. Exactly. And um like the the, the fact that we, we rely on liquidators to keep the system um you know healthy yep. is 
uh, a strength in a way because it makes it very robust because you have lots of different players that participate in this um and this whole 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 thing or whole system but on the other hand as you said like if there's just like not enough liquidity the, the um liquidators have no incentive to liquidate a bad mm, like bad loan um, yep. that right in which case yeah the protocol is the one that ends up being stuck with it yeah um so yeah, yeah. probably like liquidity is one of those main things that we we look at um, and then we, we also, you know, like think of what are the, um, use cases for, for our users, like thus listing this, um, cause like listing any asset might incur some sort of, uh, unforeseen risk for you as a protocol. Yeah. Um, so you, you want to make sure, right. That like what you're, um, what you're doing actually has some value added, um, for your users. Um, yeah, I think like, and then we definitely also in, in, in this whole process, we use our uh, our in-house uh, protocol simulator, right? So we can instantiate the users with different positions um, based on either like how uh, the users interact with a certain token on, let's say, Aave or Compound, uh, or just in some, you know, like create hypothetical scenarios that we, um, we, we assume might happen in terms of how users interact with, uh, with this token. Um, and then just like run thousands of simulations on historical data, um, historical data in this case meaning price trajectories, and just yeah. like see in in how many of those cases we as a protocol end up with some bad debt and how um, big those amounts are. And um, yeah, if the results of uh, um, of simulations and like the, the, this whole um, analysis are are good, then we we want to list a token. Yeah. Yeah. So you're constantly trying to strike a balance between, you know, adding value to users in terms of listing new assets that maybe they can loop on or short, but at the same time, not list assets that are prone to too much digit, like to yeah, <laughs> highly yeah, digiting exactly. positions. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, this, that, uh, which is the whole ethos of, uh, of the series, which is digit responsibly, right? <laughs> yeah, well, as, as a protocol, you just don't want to run into a situation where users can degenerate ir- irresponsibly, right? Like as a protocol, it is right. your responsibility to prevent the irresponsibility of your users. Um, yeah, which is kind of like what we're, what we're trying to do. Yeah, super, super interesting. Um, now, let, let's talk also about your interest rate curve. Uh, one of the things that uh, a lot of people might not know is that the interest rate curves or how protocols set interest rates usually is to target a utilization rate. And this is because as a lender, you want to withdraw your assets at any point in time. And so the, the protocol will target a utilization rate of that of every market, let's say at 85, 90%, so that anyone who wants to withdraw uh, can withdraw at any time. But that might not necessarily be the best for either lenders or borrowers. It's just optimizing for available liquidity to withdraw. Um, and so having that, that in mind, what are some of the things that you are uh, doing research or trying to innovate into that space? Right. So um, the first thing which, which lots of protocols already have is a dynamic interest rate. Um, mm-hmm. So like usually most of the protocols rely on, a, uh, I think, so-called um, kink. Um, yep. Yeah. Um, like I, I don't know what's exactly like the the right term, but right, basically the, the idea that your uh, interest rate kind of like is 
uh, composed of two parts. Uh, the first one is kind of like shows how the um, the interest rate grows at a lower uh, utilization rate, and then once it crosses a certain threshold, this this increase um, and the interest rate as a as a function of utilization rate rate is much much steeper. Um, and exactly that's what that's what the the lending protocols can use to incentivize. Um, particular to, to target a particular um, utilization rate yeah um, the, the, you see a very sh- shallow almost flat curve and then at some point in the utilization axis it goes like parabolic almost vertical yeah to the point that borrowers are really incentivized to repay otherwise the interest rate is not is not economical for their positions exactly exactly um, now one of the innovations that we want to introduce to the market is a curved interest rate. Um, so basically, you would not have kind of like a two, uh, like an interest rate that's composed of two uh, separate parts, but rather like a smooth, uh, okay. ever increasing curve, uh, which um, is supposed to firstly tackle this, like target this utilization rate that you want as a protocol more efficiently, um, and secondly, make it cheaper for the users to to borrow um, the assets from your protocol. So it would be a, a much smoother curve that um, gives up a, a higher interest rate for lenders um, o- over time as utilization increases, basically. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, Yeah. so this benefits lenders because you get a, a better rate on your assets. It also benefits the protocol because it accumulates higher fees. And then what happens to the borrowers? Are they paying a, a higher rate uh, as well? Yeah, well, um, it, it, again, like depends on your um, utilization rate. I think like when you when you kind of like overlay um, a, a typical um, in like um, interest rate model with, with with like a kink over a curved interest rate model, um, then usually like you would see that at, at the lower utilization rate, it is much cheaper. To borrow from the from from the protocol than in the kink uh, model, but while like once you get ah, to a higher utilization rate, which is usually like past this, um, you know, utilization rate that you're targeting as a protocol, then it becomes much more expensive. Yep, yep, makes makes sense. Um, in terms of um, you, you mentioned you're wanting to add value to to users. Do you have an idea of who's using the protocol? Is it mainly for leverage you see a lot of looping or see mainly uh, shorting a specific assets what type of usage have you seen so far yeah well i i definitely um don't have you know like exact statistics uh to to yeah. tell you <laughs> what's the breakdown percentage yeah, no, it's fine, it's fine. Uh, users yeah. uh yeah but um i think like there's definitely degens that we see um who are using some really sophisticated strategies, or at least that's like what we, what we can infer from the positions, because they're not like very uh, easily visible in terms of like, oh, you're just like, just yeah, supply, or you're yeah. just like, yeah, exactly, like shorting something, and you know, like that's that's very visible. Um, so there definitely are uh, a bunch of agents playing around with our, uh, with our protocol. Um, there's definitely a couple of people who. Uh, Probably who are in the majority who just want to get some yield on their um, on their assets, and they only supply the the money to the protocol um, oh, without okay. 
borrowing. There's definitely a couple of um, like uh, a bunch of users who kind of mine our um, VIX rewards, which is yeah. also um, kind of like expected, right? As a protocol, when you're when you're incentivizing a usage of your of your protocol, you're expecting that this will this will happen, and there's nothing wrong about it. Um, yeah, I mean that, that's what they are for. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course, of course. Um, and yeah, we definitely have seen a couple of whales uh, coming into the protocol lately. Uh, say last like week or two, we've had um, quite a big increase of of active wallets with let's say over a hundred k worth of um, of positions on our on our platform, which we're also very very happy to see that we can you know kind of like appeal to the users across the whole spectrum. Yeah, right? like from uh, bigger users who are much safer through. Uh, users who, for whom like maybe uh, Ovix is the first DeFi protocol that they interact with, all the way to the hardcore degens um, that yeah do all the sorts of shenanigans on <laughs> Ovix. Yeah, that, that's pretty interesting. Do you see almost the, the broad spe- spectrum of users coming to Ovix from large whales through first-time users um, and retail retailers? As well. Yeah, totally. Um, I think. We're in, in the long term, we're hoping that this will remain true and probably to that mix, we will also add some institutions, uh, which I think is, is kind of like what a lot of uh, DeFi protocols ultimately hope for. Like on the one hand, um, by building those trustless, uh, permissionless systems, you yep. will mainly cater to the the retail, but also right, like the institutions with time will see the value of what we're all building here. Yeah. Yep, yep. Totally makes sense. You want to strike that balance. Uh, you don't want to have like too much bias uh, in favor of whales, or uh, if it's only retail, then whales with larger capital pools cannot really deploy because they don't have the size that they require. So having that balance is, is something uh, that is tough to achieve, but it's great to see that you, you, you're observing that so far. Totally, totally, yeah. Yeah, nice. Uh, let, let's go back to something else that uh, we briefly touched upon, which was the um, it's related to the Aave CRV saga, and what it comes down to is how the lending protocol is is designed. So one of the things that we flag in our uh, risk framework is uh, lending protocols that are uh, cross collateral, meaning that you can provide uh, a, a wide array of assets as collateral to borrow any other asset. And some other lending markets are isolated, meaning if you want to borrow. Uh, token A, you have to provide token B specifically as collateral. Otherwise, uh, the protocol doesn't accept any other token other than token B as collateral to borrow mm-hmm. token A. Uh, in the case of uh, OVIX, this is cross-collateral. So c- can you help us explain um, what are some of the, um, let's say, protections for lenders in case you list a slightly riskier asset? For instance, uh, I see you have the Jarvis Euro asset. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So, um, well, the first thing definitely is the um, the parameters, the um, um, liquidation threshold, um, or, or the collateral factor, as some some other uh, protocols call it, uh, which basically denotes the uh, percentage of the collateral that has to be uh, that that you have to supply more of. Uh, the the value of the borrowed assets, and this uh, varies for every every asset that we have. So, for example, for uh, highly 
liquid and stable assets like let's say USDC, uh, the loan to value is relatively high, let's say like 80%. Um, okay. Whereas for, uh, you know, a, a much less liquid asset, let's say uh, my, that is only 65. And like they're, they're both stables, right? But the, the liquidity of those two assets differs significantly, uh, which yep. which makes uh, you, you know, be, be much more cautious with using my as a, as a collateral on your platform. Um, so that's the first thing that we that, that every protocol uses. Um, yep, it's kind of like a matter of, of how you use it. Um, yeah, the uh, collateral factor. Um, then you basically you might not allow certain user uh, certain assets to be used as collateral for for other for your um, for your you know borrowed uh, positions. Uh, which I don't think we we currently do for uh like we only do it for for J Euro uh, that you mentioned. Um, you cannot use it as a, as a collateral for your uh, borrowing. Um, yeah, and and then on top of that, there there's there's liquidations, right? Like um the entire logic that comes into liquidations, which is what we've done uh, research on and got some surprising, I would say, um slightly counterintuitive uh, findings from. Um, which, yeah, um, should, should I like go into explaining how the liquidations work or, um, yeah, so let, let me recap first the, the two things that you mentioned. One is, uh, the loan to value or collateral factor that depending mm-hmm. on how liquid your collateral is, you allow for higher loan to values or lower collateral factors. Um, mm-hmm. basically you can be more capital efficient if you're providing a highly traded asset as collateral. That's the main principle, if I understood correctly. Yeah. And the second thing is that you can also limit uh, your collateral factor to be zero. So basically, you cannot provide assets as collateral if you think that the asset is a little bit too risky to be used as collateral, but users can still you know, provide, it, uh, provide it to lend, uh, provide it as a supply asset, uh, and of course, borrow it. So you manage yep. risk on those two sides. And the third thing that we haven't uh, talked is the liquidation mechanisms. Um, what are you doing uh, in, in this respect? Exactly. So, um, yeah, the liquidation is basically if your uh, loan-to-value ratio uh, crosses this liquidation LTV, which is specific for each user based on the uh, position that you that you have on the platform. Yeah. Um, then basically you are subject uh, for liquidations. Now, um, the liquidations typically are, well, usually they are in a way done by the protocol itself as well, but there's like a whole array of external um, participants of the entire DeFi ecosystem that yeah. just wait there and scan the, the, the blockchain to find the users whose, pol- whose positions are liquidatable. And whenever you as a user cross that, liquidation LTV, then you're very likely to get liquidated by one of those uh, liquidating bots. Um, and these are the the users, the, the participants of the system that keep this, this whole thing safe. Um, now, there's a couple of um, ways in which you manage those liquidations as a protocol. Um, the, the main one is the liquidation incentive. Uh, so th- th- the main reason for why there's anyone uh, who even bothers right to like scan the blockchain looking for uh, under collateralized uh, loans that they can liquidate is the liquidation incentive. 
So yep. uh, as a liquidator, you can repay a certain amount of uh, of loan. Um, uh, as an exchange, as, um, you get the equivalent amount of collateral plus the liquidation incentive. Um, now, what we what we found uh, based on our research is that based on uh, the user's liquidation uh, on, on user's LTV, you can make that uh, liquidation incentive dynamic, which is something that no other Linux protocol does so far. Uh, we're not doing it yet uh, because it it will require um, a bit of work on our smart contract. Yep. Uh, it's it, it's something that we we found to be an effective tool, at least theoretically, and based on like thousands of simulations that we run. Um, but yeah, the main idea is that once a user gets into a very high um, loan to value ratio, you want to disincentivize uh, the liquidators from liquidating that that position uh, up to a point where a user crosses a certain um, loan to value ratio. At which point, it's it's not in your interest as a protocol to have anyone liquidate this user, which is kind of a, a bit counterintuitive, but that's what leads to this bad debt, which we saw um, Ava incur um, on the twenty second of of November, um, and yeah, that's that's kind of like the, the the research that we've done to to understand how we can prevent from something like that happening in Ovix. Um, interesting. So so your findings from that research basically show that if a user is almost insolvent or insolvent, then you should not provide an incentive to the liquidators so that the position is not yeah. um, closed or liquidated. Yeah, yeah. and the, huh. the reason for that, there, there exists something we call um, under collateralization frontier, which mathematically would be defined as one over one plus liquidation incentive, uh, which for example, on Aave, uh, it was 4.5%. So it would be like one over uh, 1.0 um, for five, yep. Um, and once a user crosses that liquidation, uh, that that LTV, um, at that point the user is definitely liquidatable. But if their position wasn't liquidated uh, quick enough, and his LTV gets into this uh, threshold um, of him having LTV being bigger than the under collateralization frontier, then every next liquidation that happens uh, only contributes to the bad debt. It, it decreases the the amount uh, that will that you will incur as a protocol, but it, it guarantees that you will incur some bad debt. And this is something that we can totally avoid with with changing the liquidation logic, which is something we we show um, in our paper. Okay, okay. So if I can explain that in in layman terms, and feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, mm-hmm. what your research shows is that if you don't liquidate a user that is insolvent or in high risk of insolvency, then you also avoid liquidating all the other users that are, let's say, below his liquidation, the first user's liquidation threshold. Because when you liquidate the first user, then you will sell those, you will sell that collateral, you will decrease the price most likely, and that will also trigger another chain of liquidations downstream. And so that has an impact of, you know, creating more bad debt than if you didn't liquidate the first user, so you absorb a little bit of bad debt instead of triggering a whole chain of liquidations in the protocol. It's it it, it doesn't really um, impact the the other users, at least like not in the way that we were thinking about it. So like ah, okay, okay. once a user crosses this under collateralization frontier, then you only disincentivize his liquidations. 
you don't disincentivize other users' liquidations. Um, because right, as a, like first before this, um, like the reason why this this under collateralization frontier exists is that at each liquidation, the liquidators get this premium, right, which There's is denoted by the liquidation incentive. Um, so basically, if the the difference between um, being under collateralized, meaning a situation in which your loan to value ratio is greater than one, um, and your current LTV is greater than this liquidation, uh, sorry, is smaller than this liquidation incentive, then by making, by cr creating those liquidations, like you're guaranteed to bump up the user's LTV to above one, in which case, right, they end up with zero collateral on your protocol, but they end up yeah. with having some borrow, which is about that, which you want to avoid. Got it, got it, okay. So the, the, the whole point is to disincentivize those th those liquidations to minimize right. about that. The unhealthy liquidations, yeah. Yeah. Okay. That that's yeah. an interesting um, finding. I think the you know the, the base model that Avi and Compound uh, gave to DeFi, uh, you know, is it, great in itself, but it has definitely some shortcomings, um, and this is you know probably one of them. Uh, being that you cannot liquidate everyone all the time, you might want to to be more dynamic and more selective and more smart about risk management in that respect. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, Which, yeah, as you said, is it's a bit counterintuitive, but um, yeah, that's that's how it sometimes is with research. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it, it's it's scientific, so we we need to ask the questions, do the research, run the data, um, and if. You know, either that shows that, you know, let's find an explanation for why that is the case. Um, but anyway, um, I think the last question that uh, I had for you guys was about your uh, VIX token. Um, do you have, when is yeah, this released? Sure. Right now you're using it as a, uh, you know, as an incentive to attract uh, lend lenders and borrowers. Yeah, well, we... Uh, we don't have a launch date announced yet. Um, I uh, I'm not sure if it's even like well well set uh, internally. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's definitely coming sometime uh, probably in, in 2023. Um, and yeah, the, the the main reason I think why we're why we're waiting with it is that we want to make sure that there's a clear, uh, very tangible use case for for having that token in the first place, right? We don't want to push uh, yeah. another shitcoin on the market, but actually like tie it to an actual utility on the protocol. Um, and yeah, it just it just takes time to make sure that uh, you know the, the the solution that we come up with is actually the one that the market. Um, yeah, considers worth something. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Totally. Um, if is there a protocol that you think is doing really interesting things with how they launch their own token? Well, I think our uh, our tokenomics, uh, at least to a to a certain degree, is inspired by by Curve's uh, tokenomics model, and which inspired those so called Curve Wars. Curve Wars. Um, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, so that's definitely like where, where we where we got a lot of inspiration from. Uh, but then you know, like we don't only want to copy uh, what others uh, have done, but rather take it and build build upon it. Take what's good from other protocols, solutions, and build upon it. Um, yeah. Yeah, you want to optimize for yourself. That that makes a lot of sense. Of course. Yeah. Yep. Nice. Um, I think we, that's all the questions I have uh, specifically for you. I also want to open up. 
the microphone for anyone in the audience who might want to ask uh, a question to either uh, Jacob or myself from Exponential. Feel free to request a microphone and I'll grant you access. Uh, right. I think there are no, no questions today. Uh, you were lucky. <laughs> uh, awesome. Uh, also, as promised, uh, we'll be giving out uh, pull-ups to attendees. Uh, the mechanism this time will be a little bit different based on user feedback. So just send us a DM with a screenshot of this um, of this Twitter space. So send us a screenshot to at Exponential DeFi um, of the Twitter space um, the screen with all the users and the, uh, the name of the Twitter space at the top, and I'll send you a link. Um, later today. Um, again, thanks a lot for your time, uh, Jacob and the OVIX team. Um, have a great rest of your week and remember to teach responsibly. Thank you. Thanks for having us. It's been fun. Awesome. Thank you. Have a good one. Bye. Bye-bye.